The Lord be with you. And also with you. Please be seated. And let us uh, begin with a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we gather here, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we thank you for the loving care and guidance that you have given us in our lives. And we thank you for your Spirit to teach us to obey and to please you. And now as we gather around your Word, Lord, we pray that you will help us all to hear you. And in particular, I pray that you will help me to speak your truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our friends, this evening, uh, the passage that we'll be looking at is taken from Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 17, beginning on page 1201 in the, in the Church Bible. And also for those of you who are new with us, there is also a sermon guide in the center of your bulletin that may be helpful to guide you along. Uh, this is uh, listed, uh, the uh, title listed in the bulletin is Discipline and Sonship. Discipline and Sonship. Now friends, a report on Malaysian school disciplinary and drug issues published by the Malaysian Education Ministry in June 2017 shows that 402 schools in Malaysia have disciplinary and or drug-related issues. And according to the data, Selangor had the largest number with 67 schools having such issues. The report also states that the information does not include figures from Sabah, but no explanation was given for the omission. And also there were no parameters or standards or percentages or frequency of such problems that will um, uh, sort of like uh, uh, make, it, make it acceptable to be included in part of these statistics. None of them were mentioned. So I looked a little bit further and in an older academic research paper on the same subject, though this was only concerning schools, uh, secondary schools in the state of Johor, and which was published in the European Journal of Social Sciences, volume 11, number four of 2009, uh, is, has this to say, and let me paraphrase for you. The lack of discipline is a major problem in Malaysian schools. It interferes with teaching and learning and may lead to later school dropout and similar negative social outcomes. Truancy, absenteeism, stealing, fighting, and vandalism are listed as such misbehavior. And this misbehavior may also include assault on teachers and other students, verbal abuse, offensive language, sexual and other forms of harassment, threats and intimidation, possession of offensive weapons, supplying or the using of illegal drugs. And I give you a direct quote from this, um, this, this publication. I quote, Discipline problems occur when a student refuses to obey rules of the classroom or school that deal with human action that will promote values and standards of sound behavioral codes for their lives. Now, I move further afield to see whether I can find more information. And over in the US, 
A 2017 studies, study says that U.S. secondary schools suspend or expel 2 million students each year. 2 million students. Mostly for non-violent offences such as disruption, disrespect, tardiness or being late often, and dress code violations. The research also shows that such violations might lead to increased risks for falling into unproductive behaviour, affects social, e emotional development, academic performance, and life trajectories. In other, in other studies in the US for the first half of this year, 2018, show that in the most extreme cases, disciplinary uh, failure results in a school shooting happening every 60 hours in the US. Every 60 hours in the US, a gun pops off in the US. And now just to mention two horrific uh, school shooting incidences this year. On February the 14th of this year, at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, this shooting left 17 people dead and 15 seriously injured. And on May 18, 2018, at the Santa Fe High School in Texas, leaving 10 dead and 10 seriously wounded. And though this happened elsewhere, uh, friends, it makes us wonder whether it's still safe for kids to attend school. But we shouldn't miss the point here. Just because we are so horrified by such happenings at school, and that there seems to be no dis discipline, we fail to see that it is because there is school discipline that the majority of schools, in fact the rest of society, can function uh, in an orderly and safe manner. We may therefore say that school discipline molds a responsible people fit to take their place in society later on. And that failure and that failure to obey or endure the restrictions of discipline leads society into great danger. Our passage from Hebrews 12, 4 to 17 helps us to view this from an even more important perspective. For the Christian, Discipline is the means by which God molds a people or a community fit for himself. For the Christian, discipline is the means by which God molds a people or a community fit for himself. Now, our passage in, on page 1201, verse 4, uh, has this to say. Uh, first of all, he, the passage touch on the struggle and encouragement of discipline in verse 4. Let me read it to you. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Our three points here. First of all, resisting sins causes suffering for the Christian as he or she struggles not to do the things that are wrong in the sight of God. Secondly, in resisting these um, temptations, we invariably meet with the hostility and violence sometimes of worldly sinners, just as Christ did, as we, saw just, as we saw last week in verse 3. And thirdly, Hebrews reminded his readers that un unlike Jesus, their resistance against sin has not yet resi resulted in them shedding blood. Well, then the question arose, 
how does God carry out the disciplining of His people? Well, the answer lies in the next two verses that are taken uh, from Proverbs and also from Psalm 94 that we read just now. The disciplining of Christians is from God. And we are reminded that God is sovereign and that the suffering of Christians for His faith is God's way of forming us, drawing us to Him, changing us from the inside out, even as we face the hostility of the world. The quote from Proverbs encourages us not to give up or to ignore this discipline either. For God only do, do this for those He treats as His own son or daughter. Are you see, friends, we must not react like the students who took up pistols or assault rifles and start killing others because we do not like the discipline of school which prepares us to take our place in society. And Hebrews explains further in verses 7 uh, to 8. It says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You see, teaching, correcting, disciplining, even to the point of causing pain uh, and suffering to the ones who are being disciplined. This is how God treats His family, even as He moves us to His, view, to his will. For friends, you and I know that if we are left to ourselves, we will never be able to do the things that He wants us to do and to please Him. We would rather do the things that we want to do to please ourselves. But God does not do this, the disciplining, in a spiteful manner to punish us because we are naughty. No. God does not use this, the hostility of sinners to torture us because He is hostile to us. No, Hebrews tell us this is not the reason why He does it. What's the reason? God does it because He loves us as His children. Adopted, yes, but yet enjoying the full membership as members of His household so that we can share in Jesus' eternal inheritance. We are God's legitimate children, friends, not illegitimate ones. And Hebrews here reminding us that even earthly fathers will not give their illegitimate children a share in the family inheritance. Now, friends, you see, if we are to inherit the kingdom of God that God has prepared for us, then we must be trained and disciplined so that we are worthy of it. In the same way that an earthly inheritance will not be passed to us to be wasted if we do not have the discipline to inherit it responsibly, those without discipline will be treated as illegitimate children and will not inherit what God had prepared. Now, friends, that's why the prevalence and sometimes violence of secondary schools is disturbing because it is the rebellion of those who would form the new generation of society. And now Hebrews draw a contrast of earthly fathers and our heavenly father. In the first part of verse 9, we read this, Besides this, we have, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, who discipline us. You see, and we respect their discipline. Verse 9 says, when our children were growing up, friends, we had friends, office colleagues, whose children were waited on hand and foot by their mates. 
When the children come, come back from school and they open their doors and they will chuck their bags onto the floor and they will plong themselves down on the couches and stretch their legs out on the stools that have been placed for them there and wait for their, their shoes and their socks to be taken off and have cold towels and cold drinks to be brought to them by their mates. I'm not joking. This is a true story. I have always wondered, though, in my own heart, whether our children grew up having this syndrome, you know, this nomad syndrome, having to do all these things themselves and helping in the store chores as well, and whether they suffered for it. Um, but, you see, if we continue with our verse, uh, verse 10, we will find what, uh, what earthly fathers do. For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Earthly fathers discipline us for our own good as it seemed best to them, so that we are able to cope for our, by ourselves and not to rely on pet help. We are able to take care of our own dirtiness and take care of it and be clean and tidy and to help out at home when we get old enough to do so. Now, Hebrews compares this work of early fathers to our heavenly one. And Hebrews has this to say, just as we subject ourselves to our fathers and respect them for the discipline, shouldn't we even more subject ourselves to the discipline of our heavenly father so that in the end, we can share his holiness, fit to stand in his presence? So, friends, do you see the contrast here? We have early, earthly fathers who train us, earthly fathers of flesh who train us, who discipline us as they see fit for, our, for the good of our flesh. And in contrast, Hebrews uses the expression father of spirits to describe our heavenly father who disciplines us for our spiritual good. Earthly fathers of flesh disciplining us for the good of our flesh and the Father of Spirits to describe our Heavenly Father who disciplines us for our spiritual good, even as He trains us for the inheritance of His kingdom. And if we continue now with verse 11, Hebrews have this to say, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know the saying says, while for the present, the going may be tough, the tough gets going. And you know how? Because we know where we are heading. You, you see how Hebrew uses the, the, uh, uh, the, the words to describe something that uh, is approximate to a, a, a disciplined farmer that goes out into the field to plough his land. The land may be hard, it may be dry, but the disciplined farmer will go in and plough the land, no matter how hard and painful it, it is going to be. And once that was done, he sows the seed. And when the seeds were planted, what remains for him is to harvest the fruits. What remains for the disciplined farmer is the harvest. And in the same way, ultimately, for those who endure to the end, the discipline of the Father in heaven, all the pain and the sweat and the suffering will be worth it as we enjoy the harvest of being right with God. Now, in our last part of our passage, 
It addresses the question, in the meantime, what do we do? And verse 12 paints a picture from sports. It says this, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. You know, when I read this, I see a picture of a small little boxer facing a gigantic one with full of muscles and so on. And you see this little, little boxer, hands are shaking and his feet are weak and he, he starts to waver as he faces this huge opponent of his. But Hebrews say, don't lose heart. Don't lose faith in God. Don't surrender. But rather, do what verse 13 says. And verse 13 says this, Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Have the end destination firmly in mind, straight ahead of you, and focus on it, and set your path accordingly. And uh, this is what verse 13 tells us. What is lame may be put out of joint, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed reinforcing a picture of determination and confidence expected of the people of God, that even the legs that are lame will be strengthened and healed and made fit for the race. Now, where is this confidence? Where is this reliance to be placed? Well, we are back to last week's verses 2 and 3. Let me read that to you. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Well, friends, it's not about us. It's not about our own actions and our own determination or what we can do for our own salvation. It is all about Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus who died for us so that we might live. It is all about Jesus who showed us the way and his absolute confidence and trust in his Father who endured and obeyed him to the end. This should be our focus. Jesus who has shown us the way and who calls us now to follow him. And in verses 14 to 15, just to summarize it for you, three points. The community of God's people is marked by the spiritual gifts of peace and holiness or purity. These are not earned by us so much as granted to us by the undeserved grace of God. Therefore, this community must be a community not full of the roots of sourness or, or what the Hebrews say, root of bitterness. No, it should be a community of harmonious relationships, helping each other to hold on firm and strong to the promises of God. And finally, Hebrews warned us in verses 16 to 17 that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You, know, you notice how sexual immorality follows immediately after the word defilement? Be warned, my friends, for it can cause the loss of our right as inheritors of the kingdom. For just as Esau lost it for the miserable human and instant fleshly need of gratification of the flesh through a ball of stew, and no matter how much he regretted it later, 
He found that he has already lost it and could not have it back. His birthright has been lost. And so we are warned as well. I think it's safe at this point to say that it's not only sexual immorality, but rather all of the fleshly human lust for instant gratification over what God has commanded us. That is in view here in Hebrews. And I think it's also safe for us to say that it does not imply that inheritance is of no use. For the Bible tells us elsewhere that God forgives all who truly repent of their sins and turn back to Him. What is in view here in Hebrews is to stress and warn us that we should never treat the discipline of God in a trivial manner, as if it doesn't, non, doesn't matter, and to break it in a moment of weakness with our fleshly need of gratification. For friends, you know what will happen? It may cause the blessing, the free gift of God, the grace of God might be lost to us forever. That, friends, is a serious reminder to us. A moment of indiscipline may be all it takes, for it may lead to other moments as we tri trivialize the discipline of God as He calls us to master our flesh. And Hebrews continue to say, so be responsible, but be responsible not only for ourselves, but be responsible for each other and ensure that no one in the community of God's people would ever be placed in this situation without us trying our very best to help him or her. In fact, it is a requirement of God's community to help each other to maintain our Christian discipline. And so in conclusion, friends, what can we bring home with us this evening? Well, first of all, don't put God under our human judgment. You know, friends, what all those uh, indiscipline in our schools and the killings in the U.S. show? It shows this. These students have judged the school system. They have found the students and they have found the teachers and they have found the whole hierarchy of school authority to be guilty. And they have already pronounced judgment. What are they guilty of? They are guilty of causing them pain and suffering for not letting them come to school when they want, for, for not letting them do what they want when they want, for not letting them disturb who they want when they want, and for not letting them destroy school property when they want, where they want, for not letting them take drugs when they want and where they want. And we sort of think like, oh, these are the people uh, that can happen only in the schools, you know. Uh, these things only happen in the schools. But in a very similar manner, we too have the tendency to judge that God is being unfair to us. Why is God so unfair to us? Why me and not others? Why does the sinful get away with all the sinful things that he does? And why do I have to be the one to suffer all this pain and suffering I serve God faithfully. I come to church every Sunday. I bring my tithes religiously. And yet, I have no job. My marriage is in trouble. My children fail in their studies. I cannot pass my driving test. I'm sick. I'm going in and out of hospital all the time. And that Abeng who lives down the street from me, he steals cars for a living. And he sells drugs and he, he takes drugs but he is enjoying all the highlights of, of, of all the high points of life. And he drives around in his Mercedes Benzers and his BMWs. 
And when we start thinking like that, we fail to understand that God is supreme over His uh, creation. He has a plan for us, a plan for us that we cannot or refuse to comprehend because of our own pain and suffering. We just know that God is so unfair and so unkind to us. Our friends, whenever we feel like that, just remember that God is God and He is in charge. And so, trust in Him and draw on His strength to see us true. That's the first thing. Now, secondly, we must trust that God's painful discipline is for our own good. And our passage today shows us that God disciplines those whom He has chosen as His own legitimate heirs of His kingdom, co-heirs with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we must remember that the pain and suffering of this life is just temporary, and we are aliens passing through this world. So fix our eyes on that eternal destination that we are headed to and hold on tight to His promises in Jesus. God does this because we are loved by Him, even though that might sound so remote to us in the midst of our suffering. God does this only to His own children so that they can be worthy of His kingdom. That's the second thing. Thirdly, the suffering of Christ teaches us about sonship. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out to God to let the cup of suffering pass from Him as His sweat fell on the ground like drops of blood. But as Jesus said, not as I will, but as God willed. And having received the answer, what did Jesus do? He rose up resolutely, determinedly, and confidently went to the cross and died for us. Innocent and blameless, yet for the love of us, He died so that we, trusting in Him, may live. Our oh, friends, that is the spirit of Christ. That is the spirit of Christ's sonship, an obedience so complete, a trust so inspiring for each one of us, no matter who we are, so that in Him we may enjoy the eternal kingdom of God. That is the spirit of sonship that we must learn to follow. Now, as you know, Jesus never promised us an easy life. He never said, hey, Christians, you have an easy life, you know, just follow me. I'll give you all the things that you want. You just ask and I will give it to you. Jesus never promised that. Rather, Jesus promised the pain, the suffering, persecution from sinners in the midst of our self-denial. He promised us the terrible weight of the cross. But He also promised that for all those who will do so, for all those who will follow Him in complete obedience to His Father, there remains only that one thing that is worthwhile, the inheritance of His Father's kingdom, where there is no more pain or suffering or tears or death, and where life is everlasting. Now, friends, that is the final message that we should take home with us today. That is the true meaning of obedience of the true Son of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. And we pray that in our frequent moments of weakness, you may remind us of your Son, Jesus Christ, and so find the strength in your Spirit to follow Him, even as He calls us to, to go to Him and to follow Him to do your will.
Lord, we pray that in those frequent moments of weakness, you will always place your Son, Jesus Christ, right in front of us so that we can focus on Him. And in His name we pray.